Hello listeners, how many of you have a container, a drawer, or a collection of small little plastic bits like juice caps or bread tags lurking around your home? I know I sure do. This is an example of those really hard to recycle plastic items that while small tend to pile up and have no good place to go. Our guest today has found a way to transmute those plastic bread tags into usable, durable items. And to expand on this, or more accurately to shrink on this, he's also found a viable solution to make expanded polystyrene reusable. Stay tuned to hear more. Welcome to the Ecoish podcast. I'm Tracy Lydiate, founder of Sustainable Living School and your host today. The purpose of Ecoish podcast is to illuminate the good work towards sustainabilities that companies are doing, honestly discuss trade-offs they might wrestle with, and share their interesting stories to help listeners like you make informed choices. Ecoish podcast honors the imperfect journey towards creating an eco-conscious brand in an unsustainable society. On today's episode of Ecoish Podcast, we're super pleased to introduce you to the founder of Transmutation, Brad Scott. Brad Scott left his corporate job, sold everything, and then traveled around Australia with his wife for 18 months until they ended up in a small seaside town in remote southern Australia. It's there that they decided to build their recycling and manufacturing business from scratch in an old shed they bought in the industrial area. They now make artisan, upcycled homewares for Country Road Australia, have their own range of upcycled bowls from post-consumer styrofoam, which I'm really interested to learn about how they do, and they're about to embark on a new product that will be the world's first to get rid of an industrial waste product. What a teaser. It's super interesting to learn that they started making their housewares from used bread tags and work with a charity that collects these around Australia. And so far, just in this category, they've recycled nine tons of plastic and the charity has purchased 70 wheelchairs for kids. Hi, Brad. It's so great to have you on the podcast today. I'm really excited to learn more about what transmutation does and what you've been up to. And before we start, could you share where you're calling in from today? Thanks, Tracy. Uh, calling in from regional South Australia. So uh, Robe, a little place halfway between Adelaide and Melbourne on the coast um, in South Australia. Oh, I'm kind of jealous. <laughs> I, uh, I wish I could transmute myself there. Uh, I lived in Australia for two years and that's the one part that I didn't get to. So maybe someday I'll be able to come visit you and see what you're up to in person. And hopefully in the meantime, I was hoping that you could start us off by just sharing in your own words, what does your company transmutation do? So, so transmutation, um, our, our chemical word really, the changing of lead to gold, we, um, we transmute or we change plastic. So we, we take uh, waste plastic, single-use plastic, and make it into homeware. So we're right into upcycling uh, as opposed to sort of recycling or downcycling. Um, bread tags, the little bread clips that you have on your loaves of bread, little plastic clips is one of our main product lines. We uh, have a charity that collects all of those around Australia, get them to us, and we upcycle that to a food-grade, microwave-safe, dishwasher-safe homeware that goes into some fashion lines in Australia as well. And we also look at styrofoam for the, um, the white foam and upcycle that to a food-grade product as well. So we're sort of taking single-waste plastic and, and, and upcycling as opposed to recycling. 
Oh, it's, it's so fantastic. Um, I've been really looking forward to this podcast because I have a lot of questions that I think probably listeners do too. And, um, and before we double click on some of those things, I'm just so curious. Your background was really interesting to me and, you know, you, you and your wife uprooted and sold everything and traveled around. And I'm imagining somewhere in there, there was some kind of driving factor inspiration that sparked you wanting to do this. Um, yeah, there was, uh, I had, uh, I was ex army and then I went into corporate life and, um, did a lot of logistics, uh, heavy logistics sort of stuff. And then business turnarounds, which was, it was good. I enjoyed that, but, um, they're, they're quite exhausting. So for about 10 years, you're going in and, you know, turning workforces around and doing all that. Our children had left home. So we we're empty nesters and I was just exhausted, actually just mentally sort of exhausted. And um, Narelle, my wife, uh, basically said, well, why don't we do something else? And we decided um, now's the perfect time to do something. So we sold everything basically in Brisbane, bought a van and started traveling around. So that's how we got on the road. Um, we'd never heard of road before down in South Australia and we'd never really pictured ourselves going to South Australia. But uh, after traveling around for about 18 months on the road, we, we fell in love, I guess, with the coastline down here. And Nero wanted to stop, so we picked a place, and that was Robe, and that's where we stopped. <laughs> that's amazing. And um, I know that you said bread tags, uh, so I'd love to start talking about that. Um, and thank you also for sharing your story. I feel like travel, travel is so nourishing in so many ways and gives you such a different perspective. And I can imagine going from Brisbane to rural South Australia is a little bit different. I've been to Brisbane before and it's a really fun, vibrant city. So I'm sure that was a, a really big change for you. And um, in your intro, I talked about how we all have those junk drawers in our house that have a collection of things like mine has like elastic bands and like dead uh, pens that I need to recycle and random little bits of plastic, including a whack load of bread tags. And so I was really interested to hear that story. And I can imagine you need a lot of bread tags to use to create uh, containers. So can you tell us a little bit about that and how you got into working with this charity? Yeah, it's really good. Um... It's a good story because one thing has sort of led to the other. You don't sort of pre-plan where we are at the moment, um, but it's been a very good collaboration. So when we first got to Robe, the, the deal I had with my wife, because I actually still wanted to be on the road, I wanted to keep travelling, um, and she didn't. So we, we can see who won the, the argument. But the, the deal that, um, that I got was my wife said, I'll go and support us. You go and buy a shed and figure out something to do. So that's where the inspiration if you like came from the plastic recycling i've seen the precious plastic movement on youtube so the dave hackens movement i went and built the four machines that he had on his um his youtube and his website and then we started collecting plastic from the general public so we had bins out with the different types of plastic just making um you know doorknobs and, and small type molds from the precious plastic um universe if you like and then the, um, the charity Aussie Bread Tags for Wheelchairs, who were collecting around Australia, not a whole lot of collection points, but they had some definitely going. They came down from Adelaide to see me and said, we're sending all of our bread tags to South Africa because we can't find a recycler 
in Australia to take this type of plastic, which is polystyrene. It's a hardened polystyrene, high impact. So I, I, I trialled it. it. It's a fantastic plastic to recycle. Um, and then our collaboration was born. So because of the publicity from both parties, from us and the charity, the charity is now up to about 600 collection points all over Australia. Wow. I get two. Yeah, I get 250 kilograms every month. Um, so we've done over nine tonnes of bread tags and the charity has now purchased 77 wheelchairs. So it's been a very successful collaboration, um, but both, both parties couldn't function without each other. So it's quite good. Wow. Thank you for sharing that. That is an incredible amount of volume. Um, I was curious and like nine tons in total of bread tags is is kind of staggering to think about from a volumetric perspective. Could you just share, do you have an estimation of like what that looks like? Is that like a semi truck worth or an elephant or. Yeah. So it's probably two, two um, dump trucks worth. Um, it's, it's quite a bit. You've got, um, I know them all personally as well. So I've, I've processed every one of the nine ton through, uh, through the workshop here. And we use compression. The other good thing about it is uh, the way we do it with compression molding is I can maintain the, the visual effect of the bread tag. So in the end product, you can still see the original bread tag and the use by dates and the, the labeling that's on the tag. So um, when you first see them, they, they look quite stunning as a piece of art. And then you sort of, it's, it's one of those things where you look closely at it and then you realise what you're looking at. So um, they've been a really uh, a great plastic to recycle with or a great product we've come up with. And because I've upcycled to food grade, microwave safe and, um, and dishwasher safe, we're able to get into homeware shops and stores and uh, Country Road Australia, which is a big fashion brand here, um, has done a collaboration with us as well. So we do a, a line of products for them that are just white bread tags. So they're, they're white, um, they're designed by Country Road. So they're very, you know, they're, they're a beautiful piece. And we've had our things featured in a, in a high-end fashion sort of distribution in Australia. So that's that's been great for us as well. <laughs> that's, uh, I really appreciate you sharing that too, because I was think I was curious about how that all happened, and you know what a big step from wondering what the heck am I going to do, to thank goodness for your wife for saying that she wanted to be the <laughs> the support person, because look at the impact you've been able to have, um, and how you've you know traveled this road, and I feel like it might be before I have questions around a couple of the claims and statements that you've just made about your end output, but I feel like maybe. Could we take a few steps back because maybe some listeners aren't familiar with precious plastic and um, what that kind of system might look like I, I stumbled across them a long time ago and i've been watching them grow and i think they're just brilliant and i was wondering if you could you know tell us a little bit about that about what their system is um you know is it easy or difficult to set up and what's your experience been with it so um, it's quite inspirational, really. Dave Hackens is a, a, a Dutch guy designer. Um, he's, he's since moved on to the new, um, a new project in Portugal, but what he's created is uh, is quite sensational. He's designed machines that um, sort of replicate big industrial plastic factories at a very small level. So compression machine, an extruder, an injection machine. 
they've added a uh, sheet press machine and also a shredding machine that you can sort of build yourself. You don't need, um, you need to be able to weld pretty much um, and figure some stuff out, but it's, it's quite small scale, but you can, you know, recycle plastic and manufacture to a fairly high standard um, using some, some molds. So what he did was he open sourced all of his plans on the, um, on the internet. He gathered a team of volunteers around him and over a couple of years, they basically put together the precious plastic universe where you've got uh, on tips on how to start a collection point, tips on how to be a processor, how to be a manufacturer, retailing, how to start a business. So the sort of complete kit out there, if you wanted to get into sort of micro recycling um, and a marketplace as well to sell your goods back on. So uh, really, you know, an excellent sort of movement that has spawned around the world. Um, I was the first one to build all the machines in Australia, but we would have 10 to 15 uh, groups in Australia now doing it, but Europe and, and Europe and a bit of Asia and are ahead of us and now America as well. So it's, it's all over the world. Um, and Australia is you know, one, one of the more junior countries to take it up. It's probably about six years old now, I suppose. Okay. That's a great summary. I appreciate and thank you for sharing. And it's interesting because um, when I first stumbled across it, they were mostly focused on going into developing nations and had some African um, examples. And I think about that a lot, the difference between the recycling systems, say that Australia or Canada would have versus a developing nation that might not have any. I spent some time in Mexico. I lived there for a year. And at the time they didn't have a um, bottle deposits. I don't know if they do now. I haven't actually looked. Um, and I know in Africa, many places don't. And so one of the things that really struck me of the power of this system was that exactly what you just said, it's like simple. There's four or five different machines. You know, he was highlighting how it's, they're made from common um, pieces that you could find like uh, alternators from cars and motorcycle pieces, like, parts of equipment that would be laying around and easy to access, which is removing a barrier. And then the other part that was so fascinating is exactly what you said is the commerce side where even in Africa, they would pay a certain amount for say the people of the community to go out and collect these pieces of plastic and bring them to the shop that had been set up, but it was still even paying to have the plastic show up was still economical because they were able to make things and then sell them as a reused product. So like you said, is total genius and um, so cool to hear that you were the first in Australia and that you're the first that I've heard of in a developed nation setting this up and that it's expanded so much. That's really exciting to know that there's probably municipal and this is a question, is there municipal recycling in your area or are you covering that load for that area? No, there is municipal, just to clear up, um, Precious Plastic um, Monash University, they did build a, a variations, if you like. They, what they did is build all the four machines sort of together as an educational sort of piece. And I think they beat me by about 12 months. And then um, <laughs> I'd be, I, I was the first one to build the machines as per the Precious Plastic sort of model. So gotcha. just in case, yeah, just in case someone comes on from Monash University and says, oh, I'm pretty sure we beat this guy. But anyway, uh, we were the, good, good the to clarify, to the, good to clarify. <laughs> yeah, we were the first to do the whole set. And um, since then, 
yeah, like I said, probably around 10 to 15 that I know of um, in Australia sort of doing the same sort of technology. Um, there is a, a bin pickup uh, system where we are and, and, and most councils sort of have that in Australia. But what we need to understand, I think, and I think most people in recycling do understand this, is it's only catering for um, a select uh, segment, if you like, of the waste plastic, most, you know, PET, polypropylene, HDPE, but uh, things like PVC and polystyrene um, aren't really part of that, that system. And generally, I'm picking on niche sort of parts of that that aren't being recycled. I know aren't being recycled commercially and, um, and trying to pick that slack up. But you can yeah. still decentralise. Really, that's what I'm trying to do is, is spread these types of micro recyclers all over Australia. We just started our own um, association here called the Australian Microcyclers Association. To try awesome. to, uh, yeah, network us all together so we can see who we are and help each other out. Yeah. Because there's, there's lots of mistakes you make, obviously, on the way that you can share with newcomers to, uh, as you said, get the barriers down. So the lower we make the barrier for someone to get in, the more successful they're going to be and um, we can start growing micro-recyclers everywhere. Yeah, it's exciting. And um, I feel like with decentralized systems, you brought up a great piece about collaboration and if you're thinking about doing this as a business of course you're probably looking at the market thinking you know can i be competitive who are my competitors am i going to make money like your your standard business assessments and i feel yeah. like with the amount of volume of plastic that exists in the world like i couldn't even i should have looked this up prior to the podcast so that's bad on me about how many bread loaves of bread are produced, um, say <laughs> weekly or monthly. It's a lot. And Canada is probably the same way. And so there's so much waste that doesn't go through these systems. I feel like every community could probably have one of these and still not be in competition with each other. And I, I feel like you also shared a, an excellent point about there's different kinds of plastics and that our blue bin or collection systems are really only geared for certain types and there's others that certainly fall through the recycling cracks and end up in landfills or worse off in our waterways and oceans so yeah it's a double whammy things like lids and whatever so logistically the systems are set up uh, to transport plastic to a location and lids and bread tags and whatever slip through cracks as you said so they don't particularly don't like transporting them even though they're highly recyclable um, and then the other thing is people if you've got a bread tag in your house you might, might have one a week or two a week you put them in the bin because they're so small as opposed to uh, and if you put them in your recycle bin they're not going to be recycled anyway so they're that type of item um, so without the charity and the collection points and everything uh, that's been collating them that's been great but we need to start thinking about um, our collection systems but then also our processing and our manufacturing. I mean, we had an example here in Australia with, uh, with RedCycle, who were too successful to a certain extent. They've collected so much soft plastic and now there's nowhere to process it. There's, there's not enough places, if you like, processing okay. it. So they've got warehouses full and they've had to stop the production for a while or stop the collection for a while. And all that's done is put a negative recycle story out there as opposed to, um, you know, they've been very successful. They've been doing what they're designed to do so well that they've got so much and um, we can't process it in Australia with the current 
infrastructure we have. So, which is also frustrating because it could potentially erode um, the good work that's been done on the training and education side, where folks know, oh, I can put this somewhere and it's going to go somewhere and get recycled. And then if you stop that. I can imagine there can be a negative effect when you've just highlighted an excellent point about I think any type of system and one of the things that I feel like our systems are currently struggling with is how to expand and contract to uh, match the demand or the need and space and there's so many variables that come into that I know power you know decentralized renewable power is another one that has this challenge about storage and so yeah it's a it's maybe heartening to hear that it's a similar challenge that translates across other industries so maybe there's ways we can find solutions that way yeah it definitely does and because we're um you know we're into this sort of black and white divisive i think phase of, of history it's probably been there for most of history but i think it's a lot more prevalent now doesn't matter what you do, there'll be a group of people who are shouting it down and saying how stupid it is and, and um, trying to, to wreck it for whatever reason. Um, and it's the same with the recycling. And you get a story like that. And we have a lot of people coming into our retail outlet that we have here at the factory. Um, that's the first thing that comes out of their mouth. So, you know, recycle have failed. And you're going, well, no, they haven't. Um, <laughs> and trying to explain it, but that's all you hear in the media. You know what I mean? So. Um, people have a, a stigma, if you like, with recycling that you can't make money out of it or it's, uh, it needs propping up, um, you, you know, it can't work effectively and, and those stories don't help that. So it's really one of my tasks is to show that we've built a successful business from nothing, from an empty shed in recycling. It pays two wages, myself and my wife. It's a small business in a small country town. Um, so it's done all of those things and it's, it's recycling. It's this industry that, you know, people consider you can't do anything with. So I really yeah. want to sort of stress, stress that business side, I guess, as well. Well, thank you. I think that's a really important, especially decentralized business models. It's just, it shows that we need to start rethinking how we're using our systems and creating another layer of enterprise, which is, I feel like what you and I are talking about right now. Um, yeah. I'm really curious though, one of the things earlier on I wanted to really double click on and get into is for some re <laughs> for some reason my brain is having a hard time going from expanded polystyrene that maybe my yeah. chicken or my meat comes on and I'm washing that and I'm I'm able to recycle it at one of my local places. But if I couldn't, my brain is having a hard time understanding how you go from that type of a product to a food safe, microwave safe, plastic, let's say bowl or plate. I'm not entirely sure what you make out of them. So can we talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So you've got um, high impact polystyrene, which is basically a hard plastic. It'll feel and look. Um, it's a bit more brittle, but it looks and feels like a, a milk bottle lid, that type of um, HDPE. It's a bit more shinier. Um, so, so your bread tag. So that that type of plastic in a bread tag is a high impact polystyrene. Generally, it depends on the manufacturers, but I haven't I haven't seen any in Australia that aren't anything but that type of plastic. Um, and we have the cardboard ones coming in to replace them now too, which is good. So people don't have a vision of polystyrene in their head as the um, hardened version right. because of the success of, of the styrofoam brand, if you like. So expanded polystyrene, 
is out in the marketplace. Everyone knows it as the white foam. And because it's sort of ubiquitous, as soon as you say polystyrene, which is actually the type of plastic, you think of the foam. So if you just think of two different versions, both are polystyrene plastic, mm -hmm. but one has been expanded using a sort of pentene blown into it and, and airing it out into a foam. Um, whereas the other one's just in a hard plastic that you're used to with, more, with most plastics. So it's, they're both polystyrene. They're just in sort of different formats, if you like. That's really great point. I had no clue. So I just learned something new today and I really thank you for sharing that. And um, I'm sure, yeah, the trays is something that are so common in this country. And it was really exciting to me to hear you say you've learned how to turn them into something that's reusable over and over again. And I'd love to hear more about that. Yeah, so contamination in, in recycling isn't the main issue that you have. So basically you're trying to find a, a plastic and know what's happened to it really. Um, food is a bit trickier with the food trays. Um, and yes, you can definitely recycle them uh, into a product, but I would not choose that. I wouldn't upcycle um, those types of uh, stuff coming from that industry. I wouldn't try to upcycle that. So I'm picking on basically the foam that you'd have around all of your, your items, you get uh, hot water systems and fridges and anything you get on eBay or whatever that's packed in styrofoam. Yeah. That is uh, a lay down mosaic. There's so much of it and you know it's clean. And you know, it's not from the building industry, which has bromine in to make it sort of fire resistant. So it, it is a bit about the chemistry and knowing what your source material is. In okay. fact, it's very much about the chemistry. So if you can, uh, I guess, People think of recycling in the bin system and, and, and the general public. There is so much industrial waste that is out there that um, to me, that's the low hanging fruit. It's actually not the, the bin system is taking care of a fair bit, if you like, of that stuff. And, and contamination, I think, sort of leads a lot to waste to energy and those sorts of solutions or, or recycling back to a, an oil-based sort of substance that you can then get rid of the contamination and remake into something. Mm -hmm. Whereas industrial waste, clean sources of uh, huge amounts of waste plastic, um, that's the low-hanging fruit, I think. Yeah. So where would you, um, what kind of products do you make out of your bread tags and the polystyrene? So the bread tag products are basically bowls, um, different variety of, of bowls and serving boards and sort of lazy Susans those sorts of homewares and most of those have been designed by Country Road. So the, the collaboration I have with them, which is excellent, is they design um, a new product for the season. I make that product range for them out of white bread tags and go to their stores. And then after that, I'm allowed to use the same shape with my coloured range, which okay. is just coloured bread tags. So they're, they're for my range of homewares. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? 
Shopify's there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Is growing up year by year around the country road designer, which is great because um, they're a lot better at designing homewares than I am, obviously. Uh, so that that that's how our bread tag range grew up. And then I've with the styrofoam, the expanded polystyrene. Um, some councils have a thermodensifying machine, which will take the air out of it if you like, and and reduce the size back to about ninety times smaller than what it is. Um, so if every council in the world just had one of those machines, you're taking what you're basically burying now is air and you're taking that volume right down to about 10%. So even if you just did that and landfill it, you're going to be saving a humongous amount of landfill space. But if you do that process, then I can take that form after it comes through thermodensifying and make something out of it so I can recycle that Generally, the market for that at the moment in China anyway is um, coat hangers and picture frames will be made out of that sort of material and come back at you. I'm upcycling that to a hard bowl. Um, and that when people see it, exactly what you've just said about the picture in your mind, when I tell people that this black hard bowl that looks really funky is made out of styrofoam, their head just goes, you know, I, I don't get that. It's not soft. It's not foamy it's not you know what I mean it's not light it's just like a plastic bowl um so that's that's the problem with the marketing if you like is people don't get that connection so when you get the story behind that bowl you will buy it because that's fantastic but unless you get that story and get that the concept it's just another bowl if you like so that's the problem I guess with the marketing side of that is that exactly what you said as soon as I say polystyrene you're thinking of foam yeah and to be honest i feel like who why would they do a marketing campaign to tell you about the different kinds of polystyrene um expanded or not it's it's so fascinating to listen to you talk and hear the differences and really as a consumer i think so many of us are just exposed more to that form whether you've you know bought a new television or you have a printer or you know, an appliance like you shared, so much of this is um, packaged in a way that it, you know, doesn't damage the goods, which is important, but then you always have this leftover piece of plastic that, what the heck do you do with it? And so amazing point about that's pieces of equipment that um, local municipalities could invest in. And so that's really neat to learn about is that something that you um talk to them about prior did they have that did that how did that evolve no that's um they had that and they had the uh, market um there's only that i know of anyway and there's probably more um 
about 20 that I know of councils in Australia. And there's about 500 and something councils in Australia. Yeah. So there's a very small amount that have one of these machines. And generally they're selling that to, to China to make, you know, uh, coat hangers and, yeah. and picture frames. But so they're, they're quite progressive councils, if you like, that have found that market as well as other markets for their recycling stuff. So, um, so there are, you know, a very small percentage starting to go down that track. But if every council in Australia, like I said, went and bought a, a 30 grand or 40 grand thermodensifier, um, and, and even if they didn't send it anywhere else, they would save themselves a huge amount of landfill um, space just yeah. by doing that. Yeah. So, but I would obviously recommend that they go the next step. And once they do it to that, get it recycled and then create a market for the products you can get out of that. So that's, uh, I think, an important point about uh, return on investment and that yes. there is markets. Um, I work in textiles right now, and one of the challenges with textile recycling is that there aren't a lot of established end markets for products, and that's a barrier for that technology to become more widespread. And it's really nice to hear that there's this uh, growing group of municipalities or shires in Australia that take this on. Um, yep. And one of the things I think a lot of people don't think about is that landfill space is expensive and there's a, it's a, an enduring challenge to manage. There's constant problems, um, contaminations and fires and dealing with um, how do you actually structure a landfill so that it will help things break down, even though we, we all agree that it's not great to just bury everything as a solution so that makes a lot of sense to me too and i, I just wanted to clarify i heard you say 90 like nine zero percent so these machines will shrink the volume down to 10 percent of what it originally was yeah so the biggest it's about 97 percent air styrofoam okay. like expanded polystyrene yeah when you do um the densifying down the figures i have anyways it's uh, 90 times um the volumes reduced so yeah so if you, if you work on about 10 percent um, of the size, then it's a huge amount of volume reduction. I mean, our, our, I've got other stuff work we're doing now with other corporations. Um, our sweet spot that we're finding and we're starting to sort of grow quite quickly into that space is I'm able to take um, whatever waste you sort of throw at me in, in sort of volume and come up with a, a product and a market for it and transform it in or transmute it, if you like, <laughs> into that sort of space. So that's the big thing about the circular economy. You've got to, we've got to sell the stuff that we're making. Um, it, it really is about pushing out something else either that's in that space or creating a new market um, with what you're making. Because if you don't sell it, it's not a circular economy. Totally. Let's talk a little bit about um, Country Road for a minute. I think that's a great opportunity to talk a little bit about that, creating a market. What is the, what is that, or maybe you can't answer this. Hopefully you can. <laughs> what does Country Roads, um, what is their market response to your product? Do they give you that kind of information? Obviously it's going well if you're in your third season of having them create or fourth season. Yeah, yeah it's, going really a product. Well. it's going really well I and mean, we're sort of at, at our infancy I guess with that relationship so from their point of view a, a big new step for them is to reach out to small-scale manufacturers like myself um, and and try to 
make something work. So that's not their general business model. So they've obviously gone on a journey now, um, with whether it's ESG or um, changing their mix in sustainable sort of products that they're putting forward. They've made that conscious decision at the corporate level, and now they're trying to figure out ways how to implement that. Mm. So I got a um, I got a phone call out of the blue from Country Road saying we'd like to do a collaboration with you, and I immediately hang up because you know I thought it's a scam. <laughs> <laughs> so they uh, they rang back which was good and and we weren't in any way at that stage ready to do any sort of production and it really wasn't on my mind at that stage to um to get back into sort of manufacturing it was really an educational piece for me mm. but um i saw the opportunity and they worked with me which was really good and the arrangement we have is i can basically say what i'm comfortable producing for them um, for the yearly sort of for the season and they work with those figures which is good so we've been able to to grow comfortably with each other over the three or four years and I, I actually um, coming from the the other side coming from corporate I am um, I'm very skeptical and cynical so I gave them a big a big nod because I think the way they've approached that and and, and brought a small company sort of into their fold has been very good mm. so uh, I think more companies doing that and I think they Obviously, with ESG and other things coming in, there are more people steering their uh, their corporations that way. It's probably a good example to say you just got to you know don't don't look at your current models and how you do things because that's why you that's why you're trying to change it. Don't keep doing the same thing. And I think the way they've handled the uh, the chain with me, if you like, or the the supply and demand issue, has been very good. Yeah, that's an excellent point. I feel because so many especially if they're a national company, which it's, I'm not familiar with them personally, it sounds like they are a national company, they would yeah. probably be used to having really large supply chains. And internally, that's just a planning process within itself about how do you incorporate a smaller producer into your supply chain and how does that market it effectively? And so absolutely kudos to them for working to figure that out and not crushing you in the process by you know, potentially demanding like, hey, we need a million units. And you're like, wow, that'll take me 10 years to make, but no problem. Yeah, <laughs> yeah and I, I was quite realistic with them at the start too. Like I actually I chased them away for probably six months because I didn't think I could, or I knew I couldn't produce what, what they really wanted, but they came back and, and kept working with me until we came to a happy sort of medium. Um, this is a bit of an off story about logistics change because that was sort of my old, job as well before I um, left corporate. Mm. The first pallet we sent of uh, goods to Country Road, um, we <laughs> we didn't have any boxes, professional boxing or any barcoding or anything done up. We had, you know, used oven boxes and um, anything that came in here, used toilet paper boxes, all packed with our goods and sent off with, well, we had proper labelling, but obviously the boxes were a hodgepodge of uh, recycled bits and pieces on a pallet. And of course, that immediately got lost in the uh, distribution centre because the poor old, poor old forklift driver looked at that and goes, oh, "I don't know what this is." <laughs> so uh, when they found it, everyone had a bit of a, a chuckle. But it's those sorts of things that you're trying to fit into a, you know, a well-oiled machine, if you like, with stuff coming from all over, from um, highly mature and advanced sort of supply chains. Um, that is an issue because we're a small-scale operation here working for five or six weeks just to, to make one pallet worth of stuff, um, you know, put it in some recycled boxes and send it off. So it's just different sort of uh, 
scale and operations that those two systems need to, um, to, to meet with each other. What a wonderful story. Thank you for sharing. And uh, I can imagine the look on that uh, forklift driver's <laughs> face who's probably used to unloading like huge shipping containers or semi truck loads of one item. So uh, yep. I'm glad they found it. That would have been really, <laughs> that would have been really heartbreaking to go through all that work. And um, again, just really grateful for you sharing that story because I, what it highlights for me is how a small scale grassroots initiative can link up at some point in time successfully with a larger corporation that has the ethos and has the mandate and they're following specific environmental values and cr trying to create those changes and that it actually is a successful chain in getting a totally recycled product out on commercial in quotations levels and just another example for me of how business can be a, a very good driving force for change one of the things that we talk i talk a lot about on this podcast is that you have to be financially sustainable to actually do your good work and the businesses that are also selling these products have to be financially sustainable. And that's why I called it eco-ish because little bit by little bit, we're actually going to shift in the right direction, but it takes time and it takes time to change all of those systems. So yeah. congratulations on your perseverance. And this is an excellent example. Again, I think of how your company is helping consumers make eco-conscious choices where maybe they're going to country road or they get the newsletter or somehow come across your product and, and choose differently. We had a, um, a really good experience too, where we, uh, one of our customers, we get so many different sorts of customers come through our little shop here and um, from all over the Australia. But one of them said, I listen to podcasts a lot. And they'd heard the CEO of, of Country Road on the podcast um, talking about um, governance, I suppose. As far as ESG, it was more the um, procurement side of their fabrics, their cottons and their wools and knowing mm. where they come from. But in the middle of that podcast, she mentioned my name, this little uh, Brad in South Australia that's doing the bread tag stuff, which was fantastic. But she also said that because of the things like the recycled boxes and stuff that I'm talking about, they put in now um, a new thing to all suppliers on packaging. So you have to say how your packaging is moving from being unsustainable to sustainable um, and uh, compostable and all of those sorts of things. So basically a couple of months after working with us, they've sent out this, uh, this change, if you like, to their supply chains and saying, we now need you to look very carefully at all of your packaging and make sure it comes in uh, ticking the boxes of either recyclable, easily recyclable or compostable. Um, and she mentioned me in that sort of conversation. So that's a great, um, what uh, felt really good for us that we had some sort of influence on that sort of thinking. And mm -hmm. that's how change is made from small to big, really. I feel like you could write a kid's book about the the story of the little lost palette <laughs> and how it's now trickled down into this the supply chain changes. Congratulations. That's uh that's awesome. <laughs> we 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 immediately had to go and listen to the, the said podcast, but uh, yeah, that was <laughs> that was good. Our customers bringing that to us anyway. 
Yeah, and power power to the podcast. We were talking a little bit offline for our listeners' reference about how both of us were skeptical at some point of the value of a podcast because we have, you know, YouTube and videos and radio um, and we were both reflecting how we like we're doers and how we like to do things and listen and it's such a great alternative versus sitting and like reading a book for example or a magazine which i personally also like to do but i also yeah. really like listening to podcasts what's one of your top podcasts that you like to listen to besides um, probably uh i did the history of ryan mike duncan is really good but um I'm a bit of a history buff at the moment, so um, the rest is history. The British one with uh, Tom Holland and, and Dominic Sandbrook. I think that's my top one at the moment, but we go through different phases and uh, ESG ones and all sorts of different um, segments, I guess. But yeah, history, I, I guess, is is what I'm into at the moment. Awesome. Well, fantastic shout out for, to them. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, sorry, free plug. So, yeah. Oh no, no, it's <laughs> totally fine. I, I'm not in a, I'm not in a competitive space. I'm just here to use my voice and to be of value. So that's all right. But I, I did listen to the Equish uh, first two that you put out as well. So that's great. Thank you. The next one's coming out next week. Um, but Very it'll good. far pass by the time this one gets published. But yeah. So exciting meeting such amazing people and having awesome conversations that I'm learning so much from and really hope the listeners are learning too. And um, everything so far that we've talked about has been really positive and exciting and I never like to dampen the mood, but I also really wanted to kind of get real for a minute about like challenges. Have you had any yeah. trade-offs? And one of the trade-offs I mention commonly is, say you make a really good granola bar, but you have to, it's all eco-friendly and, um, you know, organic, natural ingredients. But the trade-off that you have to make as a business is wrap it in a plastic wrapper to be cost competitive. So I'm curious if you've had any trade-offs that you've had to manage in your in your growth. Definitely. I mean, there's trade-offs all the time and, and um, I was very disheartened, I guess. One, I, I did a video, um, it's probably still out there, or will still be out there on YouTube or one of my feeds of granulating the plastic up um, that I'm reusing. So basically I'm using the, the bread tags and then I'm taking the, the excess of, of that process, if you like, and I'm granulating up to make my Lazy Susan. So I'm actually not wasting... You know, anything really i'm going all the way through and using waste again and again and i put the youtube out of me granulating the plastic and i had a barrage of comments from people commenting on the bits and pieces around the machine like you know the, the stuff that had flown out of the machine and was sitting on the ground and i'll get you are kidding me i mean seriously i've just done i'm doing nine tons of plastic and someone's making some big deal about uh you know the stuff that's outside my machine or whatever that I'm going to sweep up later and potentially put in, or I'm going to put in a bin and I'm going, you know, you can't let that sort of, of thing get in the road of what you're doing and those sorts of comments, because that's bizarre. You know what I mean? Like you're saving nine tons from bread tag and people are talking about um, whatever, 250 grams or something of, of waste that's come out of that process and making a comment about it. And I'm going, you've got to be kidding. But there's other things too, like manufacturers at the moment put uh, white uh, sticky labels on their bread tags. So the majority of them don't, but there's some brands out there that still do that. And that's just an absolute nightmare for a recycler. 
So I'm trying to go through processes of getting it off and washing it off. And in the end, because I'm handling so much volume just on my own, I can't, I can't waste time on that. So that's a portion of the bread tags that I get that I will just granulate and put as inside um, boards or users fill or whatever if I can. But otherwise I can't use that because it just takes too much time and stops me doing all of the other stuff that I need to do. So there's always, um, you know, there's always trade-offs to get your operation running, uh, but you've got to make them. I mean, if you, you've got to be quite pragmatic, I feel, in this, in this space and not worry about those sorts of comments from people who probably haven't saved a kilo themselves, but want to get on a, <laughs> get on a, a comment line and say, oh, what about the stuff coming out, you know? Yeah, yeah I, I, I feel like maybe you need some clever t-shirts that say something like that while you're making your videos like I've recycled nine tons have you um <laughs> that's right yeah, yeah the I armchair just... critics are always the loudest and um sounds like you're able to <laughs> take it out with a grain of salt I am but it's it's that sort of um mentality where we we, we perfect wrecks you know don't let don't let perfect wreck the good basically so yeah um, take take the wins that are there, and and don't be overcritical about the, the trade off because at least you're doing something, you know. Absolutely, um, it's it doesn't have to be perfect. It just has to get going. Is one of my favorite mottos, and it's so easy to criticize from the outside when you don't understand the volume or the impact that you've had and the relativity scale between nine tons and a few hundred grams, which as you've shared, gets used anyways. So, um, but yeah, great well, points most also. Of it, most of it does, but um, most of it does, but I will, I will get my broom out in my dustpan and I'll clean my workshop up and I'll put that in the bin. That's what I will do, you know? Yeah. Um, and if people think that that, <laughs> that is somehow, um, you know, not, not ego friendly, I just, I just nod my head. I go, you know, what, what, what else would you like me to do? Basically, I've just processed all of the stuff that was going to get buried anyway. Mm. And um, because a couple of hundred grams of that is now in my waste bin, um, you know, that, that, that's the sort of thing that gets you down at the start, but it soon is water off a duck's back, so yeah fair enough and uh of course you're being conscious and doing incredible things brad and it's sad to hear that people are going to be that critical about a tiny little bit that is uh out of the main thing of nine tens at this point and i'm sure you're that's just the beginning for you so that's the point to focus on it is and to be fair there's a hell of a lot of support out there for what we do so uh, <laughs> I, I tend to focus on that more but uh if you're talking about sort of trade-offs, I guess there are definitely trade-offs. It doesn't matter what you do. I think um, in life generally, there's there's trade-offs, especially in the uh, recycling. You, you can't, at this, especially at this stage. Like we're in a we're in a crisis. We have so much plastic getting thrown at, at us. To think that we're going to have it all worked out and perfect at the moment is is um, fancy land. You know what I mean? So we've got to start somewhere and, and do everything at once. We've got to reduce. We've got to recycle. We've got to come up with new tech. We've got to do basically everything. We can't just think it's a silver bullet. Yeah, absolutely. That's an excellent point. Uh, thank you for making it. And you are part of that solution and you're doing amazing things. So I am just so many kudos to you, to you and your wife and your team and everybody involved with your organization, um, whether they're volunteers or partners, it's just, it's very inspiring. 
And um, one of my favorite questions to ask, which is maybe a perfect time to ask it to wrap up our time is, if you could just paint your favorite picture or wave a magic wand, we'll use that one, wave a magic wand over transmutation since you're an alchemist, uh, what would your future, your ideal future look like to you? I'm, I'm trying to create it actually. So I've, I've pictured this quite a bit. Um, my, my ideal future is to have, um, I'm building another shed here, but um, I have my own little R&D batching facility here and, and corporations bringing me a problem and me solving it for them and then taking that out and, and getting it commercialized at scale, basically in the existing infrastructure. So I would like, I really enjoy that space where you're sort of taking something that hasn't been or people think can't be recycled um, and then working out how it can go back into a market, if you like, uh, in a usable form, new product, whatever. And we've had some success at that at the moment, but I, I could quite see myself just sitting down my, you know, my little shed and uh, working those things out. I might have to grow a big, long, gray beard to put a hat on, but otherwise <laughs> it should be fine. <laughs> awesome. Well, that's a great uh, future vision. And I feel like a call out to anybody in your local area, or maybe that's listening to this podcast that's in Australia to, get in touch with you to give you a challenge. Um, so speaking of which, how can listeners get in touch with you? What's the best way to connect? Uh, probably the website. So www.transmutation.com.au. So everyone loves that word. They, some remember it, some call us transportation or, you know, <laughs> transfiguration or all sorts of things. But uh, if you get transmutation into your head, then um, that's the best way to find us on the website. Okay. That's excellent. I appreciate you sharing that. And I hope that you are flooded with lots of problems to solve. It sounds like your brain <laughs> is ready and we could use your help. Yeah, again, if I can make a, a business model that has me just sitting there tinkering away and figuring stuff out, then I'm pretty happy. But um, we'll see what the future holds. <laughs> <laughs> well, keep me posted, please. And maybe we should do a six month update. <laughs> no worries. And uh, well done to you too, Tracy. It's, it's great having a, um, a vehicle and a, a new podcast in this space as well. I think, um, I think the time is right for that and the circular economy and, and what we need to go forward. Wonderful. I appreciate that so much. This is a big passion project of mine, so it's nice to hear it's of value. Hey, listener, thank you so much for tuning into this episode of Ecoish Podcast. We bring you new content every other Wednesday throughout the year. If you're a regular listener of the podcast, there's a really easy way to show your support and to help us grow. Download the Fountain app on iOS or Android, follow Ecoish Podcast, and start listening. You can share your thoughts on this episode by sending a boost, like a payment with a message, and see what other listeners have to say or create clips of the best moments. Getting started is easy and you can top up your fountain wallet with a bank card. Oh, and also did I mention you can earn money just by listening on fountain to other podcasts too? It's kind of a no-brainer. Check it out. Visit fountain.fm to learn more. Did you know that we offer a free guide called Sustainability Decoded, designed to help you get started or advance your personal sustainability efforts? It's free. It's 12 pages full of tips and prompts to help you get going. Just hop over to www.sustainableliving.school and grab your copy today. 
The Sustainable Living School is also partnered with Your Healthiest Self on a five-day free Sustainable Living Made Easy Challenge. You can register at any time by going to the website sustainablelivingmadeeasychallenge.com. Thank you again, and we hope you'll tune in again soon. Bye for now. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.